Once upon a time, three movie fans went to college and took film classes. After graduating, they were each hired for very boring day jobs. But I took them away from all that, and now they podcast for me. My name is Charlie. Good morning, morning, Charlie. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. This is going to be long, hard, and rough. Sometimes when it's rough, I just get there fast. Listener discretion is advised. When we get started this millennium... Today we're discussing Charlie's Angels, starring Kristen Stewart, Naomi Scott, Ella Belinska, Elizabeth Banks, Damon Hansau, Sam Clayfin, and Patrick Stewart, directed by Elizabeth Banks. Don't call me Angel, this is Arnie, co-host and now playing. And this is Marjorie, and I'm no Angel. Baby, you swiped right, I'm your co-host now, this is Jacob. <laughs> Best line of the movie. That is actually a very... And it's like within the first five minutes. <laughs> so welcome back to Charlie's Angels. I don't know who remembered we're doing a Charlie's Angels <laughs> retrospective series. It's been five weeks since we last discussed it. But there's a new Charlie's Angels movie out. Did you guys know this? Because it seems like not a lot of people know this. I only knew it because we're doing it for the show. Yeah, I saw the trailer a couple times in theaters. It made no impression on me. It looked pretty generic. I'll agree with you, Jacob. I didn't get super excited for this one. I thought the first trailer showed promise. And, you know, I'll give this to it. I'm really excited for what Elizabeth Banks has done with her career. Have you seen Power Rangers? She's awesome in it. She's Rita Repeller or whatever her name. She's the bad guy in it. She's great. Yeah, I mean, I just think of her from the aughts when she was the hot one in 40-Year-Old Virgin and... Grant G. Grant's wife in Slither. Oh, yeah, she was good there. But then she just got in this slew of bad rom-coms and... I really thought her and Katherine Heigl, I started to get them confused. And then Elizabeth Banks, though, I thought was really smart. She got into producing and now she directed. She directed Pitch Perfect 2. I've not seen the Pitch Perfect films, although that third one looked kind of funny. And she's now writing, directing, and producing this. She is the driving force behind the new Charlie's Angels. Yeah, I'll say the only thing with that trailer is that it felt more grounded, which was a big relief after what we did with McGee. Like, this felt like maybe it's the more realistic version of Charlie's Angels. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of jokes in that trailer. It felt like more like maybe a modern day Daniel Craig, James Bond, where we're getting away from all the puns and that. The movie is going to come off different than that. But that was the one little selling factor to me is like, hey, we're going to just do a serious spy movie based on this concept of three women spies put together by this agency with a guy that talks on a speaker box and all that. And I guess my big question coming into this is we have seen how comedic Drew Barrymore's angels were. And we did watch the pilot movie. I watched the 2011 TV show. I watched quite a bit of the original TV show. But what is Charlie's Angels beyond three women working for someone named Bosley and the squawk box of Charlie. I mean, is Charlie's Angels funny? I, I definitely think that 
camp was built into Aaron Spelling's original vision. It was also in the McGee ones. I mean, it was campy and stupid and fun. I think there's an element of this in the original one where they get in these ridiculous situations, but the ones that we had previous to this, Charlie was also the savior, if you remember. I mean, he saved the women who were being underutilized in the original TV movie. He saved Dylan from a life of crime and getting kicked out of the police academy and that kind of stuff. No, this one is very 2019. It's franchises now. It's not just three women and Charlene and a Bosley. It's a million Bosleys all <laughs> over the world and angels everywhere. It's, it's like a Victoria's Secret lingerie modeling show gone crazy. That's what I knew coming into this movie. There were going to be a lot of Bosleys because... Patrick Stewart was in the trailer, and I'm like, A, if Patrick Stewart's in the trailer and Elizabeth Banks is also a Bosley, obviously Patrick Stewart's the villain. I got that from the first trailer. And then Damon Hansau is playing Bosley, so I knew there were going to be a lot of Bosleys. I thought they were finally going to retcon the whole Bill Murray, Bernie Mac Bosley scenario. Surprise! Oh my god. I don't know how how I feel about what they did. But yeah, this movie is not expected to open very big, I guess. Like us, not a lot of people were excited by the trailer. Who is the audience for this movie? Because I walked into the theater half full, maybe? But like, I took a quick glance and I noticed just women. I think I was the only guy there. Thankfully, my wife went with me to see this because it would have felt really weird if I was the only dude in there. But (laughs) it seemed like older women too, like those that might have some association with the original TV show in their younger years. Well, we did see a few mother-daughter groups in ours. K-Stu, Kristen Stewart, of course, everyone thinks of Twilight, like that age group is aged now. So maybe that's who's going to it. Naomi Scott, I guess she played Princess Jasmine. I knew her. Again, Power Rangers, she played Trini. Like that seems like a young crowd to go for if you're going off the new Will Smith blew himself Aladdin version from Disney. (laughs) Like who was the audience for this movie? I don't know. We saw some couples on dates at our theater. There was one lone Man. Not me. I went with my wife. It no, wasn't no, no, me, no, guys. No, 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 no. Oh, no. Oh, no, Jacob. <laughs> this guy was wearing denim overalls. Uh-oh. And a striped shirt like Chucky. Uh-oh. Not good. And red shoes. And he sat there and laughed at every single line. Even if it was a serious line, he did a little bit of a... <laughs> <laughs> That's unnerving. It, it was. And there was one seat away from me and him. And Arnie's like, do you want to move? I'm like, no, it's fine. I don't think he's dangerous. But it was just unsettling. I definitely think the target audience for this is women. Yeah, because all the men were seeing Ford versus Ferrari, a movie I'd much rather be seeing this weekend. Well, what Elizabeth Banks said in an interview was that she thought that movies about sisterhood are needed right now, and that this is very trying times for them. Them being women? Yes. Okay. And she wanted to make a movie that celebrated women at work. So why didn't she just remake 9 to 5? (laughs) Yeah, it does seem weird because, Arnie, you asked, what is a Charlie's Angels movie? Like, what is the core concept of the Angels? And I do think there is a bit of the male gaze, that jiggliness we've talked about, that sex appeal. I'm not saying that you can't be a, a strong feminist woman and not have sex appeal, But it feels like in the Me Too era, like, we want to try to take that ogling away. So saying sisterhood and it's trying time for women, it's weird times with what feminists and being a woman mean. It's all changing. And I guess you could do the sexiness thing and still have it be about Me Too. 
I definitely think that the jiggliness was toned down in this film. Oh, definitely, yeah. I think that was in the casting of it. And while I think Kristen Stewart is a really good actress, I've never seen Twilight, so I'm able to think she's a good actress. Yes, <laughs> I, I want to say this for Roe Pats and Case Stew in their defense, like because I am the resident Twilight expert I'm now playing. They are both really good actors. Like Roe Pats, go see Good Time or The Lighthouse. This guy can act. I'm actually looking forward to him being Batman. And Kristen Stewart, I think of Adventureland, like a, a little rom-com with Ryan Stewart and I think Jesse Eisenberg. I thought she was good in that. When she played Joan Jett in The Runaway, she's really good. She does a lot of smaller, like, European art house stuff. Like, I don't know if you've heard of Personal Shopper. Not a movie I'm strongly passionate about, but she was really good in it. So, yeah, I think she gets a bad rap because of that Twilight connection, but uh, she impresses me. She definitely, I think, picks her jobs. Like, there's the stuff she wants to do because she loves the craft of acting, and there's stuff she loves to do because she's got a lifestyle she's got to maintain, and I think we're on that maintaining that lifestyle film here. I thought I hated her because of of Twilight, but it turns out, yeah, she's actually not bad at all. She hosted SNL a few weeks ago, and she was one of the better hosts, and she was really good with a lot of the improv stuff that they do, and that, because a lot of people can be really great actors and actresses, but have a hell of a time on something like SNL because it's out of their realm of comfort. She did a good job. She was good in Adventureland. You're absolutely right. I think she's kind of like underrated in a way. And a lot of people probably are giving her a bad rap because of Twilight. But hey, it made her a star. And that's what counts. I definitely feel like, yeah, she learned from Twilight. That will make you a lot of money. It won't get you a lot of respect, but it will let you get into other stuff. And so I think she definitely is playing that role here. This is her big movie picture. So she could go off and do some little movies in Europe. Sadly, not that big. You mentioned Ford versus Ferrari, and Marjorie had an apt thought of there's a movie for the men and a movie for the women this weekend. We go to the theaters together and we meet up after. I'm not even a car guy and I wanted to see that one. <laughs> I did think that, but this movie, they spent $50 million making it, which these days is a cheap movie. Yeah, that's almost an independent film. <laughs> It was tracking low to come in at like 14 million. Now, after Friday and Thursday box office, they're looking at like 10 million. Plus, this movie was released in IMAX. Was it? Yeah, because you contact me. You're like, it's not playing in IMAX here. Can you go to the IMAX viewing? Because we always try to see it in all the different formats. If it's getting a 3D release, I don't think anything gets 3D releases anymore. But yeah, you know what was played in IMAX at my theater? Another flop, Dr. Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Here, it was Ford versus Ferrari, and I know because I went to the IMAX site that Charlie's Angels is somewhere in IMAX, and I'm assuming somewhere in Los Angeles, Jacob, if you'd wanted to do the three-hour traffic drive, you might have found it. Yeah, somewhere probably. <laughs> but it is not widespread in IMAX, which honestly, the higher ticket price might have helped it a little bit. But no, I did see this regular theater, same one where I saw Doctor Sleep, and... Rambo, anything that's not IMAX. I went to the recliner theater, and yes, I wasn't too distracted by the guy cosplaying as Chucky who was giggling the whole time. <laughs> so you had to see it on a slightly smaller screen, Arnie, but tell us what you saw. Well, here's a slightly smaller plot for the slightly smaller movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's 2019, and John Bosley, played by Patrick Stewart, has run the Townsend Detective Agency for 40 years. Under his guidance, it's become an international franchise, but now he's retiring. His L.A. agency is now being run by a former angel promoted to being a Bosley, Rebecca, played by Elizabeth Banks. Meanwhile, in Hamburg, we meet software developer Elena, played by Nomi Scott, working for a company called Brock. And I really <laughs> thought it was like our co-host, but no, it's B-R-O-K. Maybe he should change the spelling of his name. 
Everything in this movie has to have a weird spelling. It's Rebecca with a K. It's Brock without a C. Sabina, not Sabrina. Like, I'm going to slip up on that a million times in this show. (laughs) I thought it was a nice nod. To what? Sabrina from the original Angels. Yeah, but just call her Sabrina. Now I got to remember Sabina. I get it. Words are hard. They are. (laughs) But working for Brock, she's developed a green energy smart home device called Callisto. But a bug in the software allows a hacker to turn it into an EMP that can kill a person. So it's Alexa mixed with a battery mixed with a defibrillator. When Elena's boss Fleming, played by Nat Faxon, won't delay the product launch, she turns to the Townsend Agency. There she meets two angels. Kristen Stewart is a Park Avenue princess come thief come angel named Sabina Wilson. And Ella Belinska is a former MI6 agent turned angel Jane Kano. But Elena is followed and attacked by a mysterious assassin played by Jonathan Tucker. It turns out Fleming stole Callisto and planned to sell it to criminals who want to weaponize it. Aided by Rebecca Bosley, Sabina and Jane follow Fleming to Istanbul, where they find he's working with the assassin. Elena gets a taste for the action and goes on the missions with the angels to try to recover the device. Sabina and Jane also start to suspect Rebecca may be a double agent, but it turns out the traitor is John Bosley. He now works for Brock as the head of security... And he wants Callisto to ship as is so he can use it to assassinate anyone, anywhere. He takes Elena hostage so she can show him how to hack and weaponize the smart home device. At a swanky party at the home of complicit CEO Alexander Brock, Sabina and Jane infiltrate. They rescue Elena, kill the assassin, and an army of angels led by Rebecca Bosley arrive, knock out John Bosley's goons, and arrest John Bosley. And we see Elena joins the Townsend Agency and undergoes angel training as credits roll. And we start with an establishing shot of Rio. We get to see... That's just stock footage at this point, right? Yeah. Like, no one actually has to shoot that statue of Jesus and put it in their film. It's Christ the Redeemer. Yeah, that like that is just a shot that you purchase for like 10 bucks off the internet and throw in your film. Yes. They're going to make a Fast and Furious joke later on about cars that go fast and cars that go furious. I'm wondering if this is actually the stock footage from the Fast and Furious that went to Brazil, because the helicopter shot looked very familiar. But one of the things that shocked me about this movie is we really only have two angels. Yep. To me, one of the things that is Charlie's Angels is a trio. We are going to have a trio of women, but from the trailers, I guess I got confused. I thought we were going to have three angels helping another woman out. And it might even go like I saw the 2011 pilot where... Maybe one of the angels is killed, and then the client becomes an angel. That's exactly what they did in the 2011 pilot. That's where I thought they were going, because I know from the trailer there was only the two, and then Naomi Scott, who they're helping, but Naomi Scott, her name and picture is all over those posters. I'm like, okay, she's going to be the third angel, but there's got to be like three, and one's going to retire or get killed. Like, we saw that with Full Throttle, with Demi Moore, like she went away, and so I thought we'd have some kind of scene like that, but nope. It's weird. There's only two angels, but there's always like thousands of angels. We're going to get a whole like gang of ninja angels like during this scene at one point. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about this expansion plan of the Townsend Angels. I'm telling you, they are influencers now. They're, they are <laughs> moving how society, you know, they're all on Instagram. Yeah. They, they're, they're like a secret society at this point. But this whole opening, we've got this bad guy who they call Australia Johnny. And he's an embezzler is what I understand. Yet we have Sabina, 
Kristen Stewart in a long blonde wig, who is his date for the evening. And I don't know why Australia Johnny is so infatuated with her, as he seems to not really believe women are good for much except giving him a foot job, which she kind of starts to do. But she's sitting there like she wants to keep her options open. Women can do anything. And he's like, just because they can doesn't mean they should. Right here, we're basically going to be told this movie's thesis, right? Yeah, it's politics are on its sleeve. It's feminism is on its sleeve. I kind of expected that in a 2019 version of Charlie's Angels. I'm not going to hold it against it too much. But yeah, it's there. I mean, I, I was trying to think like, okay, is there an action film, like, you know, an 80s action film where like there's a conversation, uh, you know, that would have been the opposite of this, where, you know, a man had to defend himself to a woman or over something. Are they trying to riff off of something like that? And I don't think so. It's just you, you got to have this feminist speech these days. You know, there's a movie called 86 Kill, I believe. I saw it on Netflix and it really does, you know, it takes the exploitation cliches and flips them where the guy is like this. The defenseless female role in that, and it's kind of fun in that regard. So, like Benjamin Bratt and Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a, a little more explicit though, but yes. <laughs> but yeah, I was trying to look like no. This is just what you do in 2019 when you have a girl power movie. As we've mentioned a lot lately, the identity politics are big in popular movies right now. This film is full of identity politics, but it does it in a way that it never feels pandering or cloying. I never minded, even though I'm like at the beginning, I feel like the dialogue's a little stilted in that regard. But it, I think it went away. Yeah, you expect it with a Charlie's Angels property to have some girl power in there. I think this is a very diverse movie. Like, we get a spectrum of people with different nationalities in this film. Like, it definitely is trying to be something different than your standard all-white male action film. Yeah, I didn't feel that it was pandering to me as a woman, as sometimes these things do. Sometimes it feels very forced and not organic in the movie. And I don't think that this did in any way. I mean, the beginning was a little awkward, but I think it was because Australia Johnny wasn't that good of a character nor an actor. So sometimes you get kind of that weird play where it just doesn't work. And it's not necessarily the words being spoken. It's just someone can't pull their weight, so to speak, if that makes sense. Yeah, it feels like Australia Johnny is just, I don't even know why they're going after him because he embezzled money or something. I don't know. But Kristen Stewart's a lot of fun in this role of Sabina, like playing him, doing the footsie thing and then tying the drape around him. Like he thinks he's getting into some kinky S&M thing and, <laughs> you know, she's tying him up so she can take out the guards and get him arrested and all that. So she's fun in this role. She is. And I do like how she brings up that she's tying him up and putting like a curtain around his neck. And yeah, he thinks it's some bondage thing. And she's just saying it takes men seven seconds longer to realize women are a threat versus men because there are armed guards there who are just watching her do this and not doing a damn thing. Do they get to watch Australia Johnny just bang women? Like, are they always in the room? <laughs> yes, that's what happens when you get to be an evil henchman is you usually get to watch your boss have sex. <laughs> but I'm actually really liking Kristen Stewart here. She's giving so many clues that we the audience know she's doing, but yet she's also playing flirtatious and making this Australia Johnny think she's into him. And then she's just like, I'm the diversion. And that's where we get our second Angel's entrance. 
I feel that Kristen Stewart steals the spotlight tremendously. Oh, yeah. When she does that line, baby, you swipe right. I'm your girlfriend now in Headbutts Australia Johnny. I'm like, I hope this is the entire movie because this will be amazing. <laughs> like the way she delivers the line. She's so excited. I honestly feel bad for Ella Belinska, who is an actress. I don't know. Uh, she hasn't done much when I looked her up on IMDb. She's done 10 movies and she's a Food Network host, but I don't know her. And I feel that she stands in Kristen Stewart's shadow a lot. Kristen Stewart gets to have the fun with the role, whereas Jane here is a former MI6 agent who pretty much is going to be stoic, militaristic. She's very utilitarian. She's a badass ninja. You could have fun with that. I just feel like she never gets any lines. Again, it all comes down to Kristen Stewart, if you like her or not. Like, she is the best angel in this. She's rolling her eyes, giving the looks, and it just doesn't seem like anyone could play to that. Like, they're just going to stand around and, yeah, be stoic, like you said, And while Kristen Stewart rolls her eyes and makes a pun. And they're actually after, also, the accountant who's in the back room... <laughs> Who never, yeah, comes, who never comes up again. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure about that. And enter Patrick Stewart as John Bosley. When Patrick Stewart comes in, I finally realize what's going on because I'm like, okay, there's two angels fighting. I see a bunch of people in black and it's not till Bosley walks in. I'm like, oh, there's other angel ninjas that just showed up, repelled in to help them out. Yeah, which is definitely a new thing. But it's shot so awkwardly, I didn't realize that's what was going on until everyone was just standing around. Yeah, I'm also a little bit confused at first, because even if there's multiple angel agencies, my mindset would be there are three at an agency. You have a three angel group, and if you need all these, you'd have to like put the call out worldwide. So it's kind of like a franchise, and each franchise only has four people. You're going to have a Bosley and three angels, and that's it. That's what I would assume. I, th I thought that's where we were going, yeah. yeah. In fact, I actually think some Bosleys have no angels. We'll get to it, but I'm, I'm a little confused by it. But yes, I thought Bosley was going to be the bad guy here. But then I think maybe this is just a passing of the torch, because we're going to find out Bosley is retiring. I knew he was in the movie. We're going to jump a year into the future, and he's retiring. I'm like... Oh, that's weird. I'm like, so either he's going to be the secret bad guy or they're just going to reveal him as the new Charlie as a joke at the end. Like, I'm not sure which. This is the moment, right, where I think we should be introduced to our three angels. There's a lot of angels there, but I thought we'd get introduced to our three. But really, Kristen Stewart is stealing the spotlight so much that it's only when they're leaving, after the mission is done, that I pay attention to Jane where... Kristen Stewart's talking about going out and partying and calls Jane a cosplay Catwoman, and Jane pushes her off the roof. I mean, she's tethered, she's fine, but that is the only thing that tells me out of all these angels that are there, Jane is one I should pay attention to, is this brief interaction. Yeah, and you know to pay attention to Kristen Stewart, because after she gets pushed off the roof, she's going to show up in helicopter shot that is straight from McGee. Like, <laughs> it had to be, like, they wanted it to look bad. And you go into this weird opening, like, we're going to see female children, like, doing different things, but there's no voiceover. It's so weird, like, that. I'm waiting for the voiceover, you know, these three women and whatever that is. But no, it's just a montage of kids and teenagers doing things, and then we go to the Angels Academy. In hindsight, I realized what they were doing. At the beginning, I'm like, this isn't Charlie's Angels. 
Where's the backstory? And then halfway through the movie, when they start, you know, there's all these different agencies. I'm like, oh, I get it. We're all angels. That's what. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I thought this opening might be a Girl Scout recruitment montage yes. because they're doing archery, they're skiing, <laughs> riding horses. They're just doing all these various things, and it's mostly teen or younger girls doing it. And I am waiting for the voiceover, but I do think we're seeing more than Jane and... No, because there was like an Asian girl, and I'm like, oh, is there an Asian angel in this one? No. Yeah, so I just, like Marjorie, figure in retrospect what they're doing, but I also think we needed Charlie's voiceover in this. If you're not going to do it at the beginning, I think you need to do it like Casino Royale and put it at the end or something, where you could close the movie by saying, these are the three women and now they work for me. And you could have even mixed it up and have it be Elizabeth Banks. My name is Bosley. I'd be good with that. But we need something in that intro. But I think this was, I'm going to call it a symptom of one of the things I found wrong with this movie. We get very little, I'm going to say almost none, backstory about the angels. You're absolutely right, Marjorie, because is there character arcs? I guess we'll talk about it. Jane, she's former MI6. And Sabina, I don't know, she's a rich kid that got in trouble with the law. Like, that's about all we're given. And we were given those montage backstories in the McGee Angel films, or do we want to call them the Barrymore produced one? I don't even want to give any credit to McGee. But, you know, those ones, at least, like, they attempted some character arcs here. Yeah, here's a little glimpse of a backstory. I don't know if there's any character arcs in this film. No, there are no character arcs. And you have no personal interest or attachment to any of these women because you're not giving anything to grasp onto. You know, you like them if you like the type. Like, I like Sabina because I like what Kristen Stewart's doing with the role. It's not because it's a deep character, but she's having fun. Mm -hmm. She's quirky. She's the physical one that's going to fight. Like, if you like stoic female ninjas, then Jane might be your favorite. If you like whatever Naomi Scott's doing in this film, then she'll be your favorite. But yeah, there's no dramatic arcs to get into and it's just uh, if you like this type you'll like this person and you're right yeah that's just it's very flat it's supposed to be like regular women going out and doing cool stuff and these are not regular women there's nothing to identify with in any of these women except for elena and she doesn't become an angel to the end. And we don't even get a backstory about her we just she's the only one who i guess she gets kind of a character arc but there's nothing in this as a woman to identify with anybody in this movie I'll throw it out there. Is Elizabeth Banks the third angel? They're talking about how she was a former angel. She becomes a Bosley. But unlike the Bosleys of old, who pretty much stayed at the office or did some witness protection stuff, this Bosley is out with every mission. This Bosley's firing guns. Well, wait a second, though. She just basically drives a car and shoots people. She doesn't really do much other than drive the car. Yeah, that's kind of what we saw Bosley do in that pilot. He got in that boat and pretended to be fishing or something. <laughs> but he did more. Like, he was part of the ruse in the TV show a lot. Like, they would put him undercover. And in the first new Charlie's Angels movie, Bill Murray went out and helped him with undercover stuff and did infiltration. And in the second one, Bernie Mac just babysat Shia LaBeouf, but... <laughs> Yeah, I, I take it as Bosley. They're the behind-the-scenes person. They might be out in the field helping them, but they're always behind the scenes. They're not the ones seducing men, tying them up in curtains, that kind of thing. Well, that would be a really weird Charlie's Angels movie. That would be one I'd want to see. They do some replacement here. With this retirement party, we're going to see that there's only one Bosley. There's only ever been one Bosley. We're going to have Farrah Fawcett and Jacqueline Smith with Patrick Stewart. 
<laughs> is that what they were telling us? Because it is confusing because we see all these different Bosleys on the screen. There's some in the office. And I was like looking around. I'm like, they got Bill Murray back there like doing a little cameo. Do they have some fun Easter eggs? I didn't notice any of these extras playing other Bosleys as, as being actors I would recognize. But are they telling us that Patrick Stewart was the original Bosley. Like, we're going to see him. He's going to be with Cameron Diaz. I can't believe this is set in the same universe as those McGee films. But, like, we see pictures of him with the original Angels from the TV show, photoshopped in there. And then with, yeah, those Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, Lucy Liu Angels, which, ah, half a star down just for tying it into those (laughs) films. I guess that's the retcon of this film, even though it's tied into all the Charlie's Angels are connected. Even that failed TV show, I guess it's all connected. But the retcon here is that Patrick Stewart is the original Bosley. He's been around for 40 years, which look, Patrick Stewart, he's got to be what in his 80s now. So like he didn't start with the Angels till he was 40. Okay, I guess they're trying to de-age him a bit, but he's been around for 40 years and now he's retiring and he's built up this entire franchise of Angels all over the world. I understand why he would work there till he's 80. We're going to find out his big motivation is he was waiting for Charlie to die because he was going to take over after Charlie died. Charlie's still around and so this Bosley is given up. You mentioned all the extra Bosleys on the screen. I only recognized one, and that's because after the morning news I used to watch, Good Morning America would come on, and Michael Strahan is somebody, I don't know him from his football career, but I know him from co-hosting Good Morning America and previously that (laughs) Kelly Ripa show. Yeah, the big guy with the gap tooth and the lisp. So he was credited as New York Bosley. Okay, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he did look familiar. I couldn't play some, though. I don't watch Good Morning America. And I don't watch football either, so I don't know why I recognize him. <laughs> it was all the live with Regis and Kelly you watched that made you know. But I recognized him. And of course, Demon Hansau is back there, too, on one of the screens. And he is just a presence these days. Ever since Guardians of the Galaxy 1, I pay a lot of attention to that guy. Yeah, he's got a pretty recognizable face. So yeah, I do notice him when he shows up. We also get Elizabeth Banks here. And I'm not quite sure. I know she's making this whole movie and she's pushing forward this women power. And she said she kept herself as a former angel because she wanted to show that the Charlie's Angels didn't fire all the angels when you turned 40. They kept you around. You could be an older angel. It's not like Demi Moore who got kind of pushed out. But I don't know how much she's doing for 40-something women putting a step forward for them because she comes in, she's drinking, she's... It's like she's playing every character she's ever played before. Later on, she's going to be asking for cheese and Elena's going to say, is that a code word? Yeah, it's a code word because I'm 40 and I'm single. (laughs) I don't know that that's really girl power. I'll say the all-female audience I was with, like, they laughed at that line, like, this movie got laughs. I didn't laugh out loud, at least. I found moments amusing, but this movie got laughs from my crowd. Just the guy next to me dressed as... (laughs) (laughs) He was just laughing, I don't know, at the jokes being told by the voices in his head, it sounds like. Yeah, probably what it was. But I get tired of that trope with the women. Oh, I'm single. Wink, wink. Get over that. I mean, if you're trying to, like, elevate yourself, do something cool. I mean, it was really cool that they made Elena, like, a super cool programmer. That's really neat. She was a whistleblower and going to get killed because that's what happens to whistleblowers. But that kind of leads me into something that I felt was missing from this crew of angels. 
they didn't have any skills necessarily other than fighting. In the TV show, there's always something cool they were doing. They could pick locks, they could make keys, they were good at different things like that in science. And in the Barrymore movies, they were very good in different things. It made it a point to show like how smart Cameron Diaz's character was. And, you know, she dissected the poop to figure out what where the bird came from. Yeah, here's the thing. These are all Mary Sue's, right? Like you talk about Elena. She's just a great programmer that could just do anything. And I actually don't mind that in Charlie's Angels. I just assume if you're an angel, you are a Mary Sue and you have like awesome skills at whatever. But that's always been my confusion. I thought each one of them would have a speciality. Like one's a hacker and one's the fighter. And yeah, one's the locksmith, whatever. It does feel like if if you're going to expand the franchise with angels and now you have thousands of women, yeah, specialize them. And here's a mission and here's the three that you need to accomplish this mission. But no, it's it still feels pretty generic. They had an opportunity to go that way and they didn't. They kept it. Uh, they could do whatever they need to do. And the trailer kind of indicated that it would be that way because they say about Sabina that she does the ground game meaning she's like the infiltrator and the spy, and that Jane would be more the sniper surveillance type, but it doesn't go that way. I don't think they're Mary Sue's, though, because when I think of Mary Sue's in film, they are always perfect at everything. These are highly skilled women. I'll agree with you there. That's what makes them an angel, but I don't think every highly skilled woman is a Mary Sue. The fact that they are going to lose a lot of fights, they're going to fail at a lot of things, makes them feel like real characters to me versus let me just throw this match on the tinderbox versus Rey in The Force Awakens who doesn't have to try for anything. (laughs) I'll say this, I agree. They are going to lose a lot in this film. I guess it's more Elena. We should talk about her because she does feel like the Mary Sue because she's going to be able to just fight some big henchmen later on and she's just able to skydive and everything at the end. Like, seems like no problem. Seems weird, like a mousy computer programmer is all of a sudden also a ninja as well by the end of this film. But wait a second. She mentioned like four times she took Krav Maga. I don't know what that is. It's a form of karate. Self-defense stuff. Yeah, it just sounded like blah, 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 blah to me. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's basically saying she takes more than yoga. She does. Is that something like women into yoga would know? Like, I don't know. Say you know Taekwondo. I know what that is. See, and when she says that later on, and the generic henchman's response is, did you learn that at the mall? My immediate go-to is like, Tai Bo. Tai Bo's not a real thing, right? That's just that guy selling exercise videos. That's correct. Yes, it is not. Billy Blake. Yeah. I kind of thought when he says, did you learn this at the mall, that maybe this thing you're talking about was the modern version of Tai Bo. All right, Elena, she is going to be our main plot. We're introduced to her in her boss's office. She goes to see her boss. She's got concerns about this, not Apple, but Apple product that's going to go live. Like, that's how it feels. But she goes to her boss, Fleming. Let's just discuss the ridiculousness that is Callisto. (laughs) It is really bad. Yes, can we? I'm confused why the device is called Callisto. I'm thinking of Cleo. I will tell you your fortune. Give me a call. (laughs) one 888 In all my notes, I was putting Calypso, so I thought it was (laughs) Harry Belafonte. But no, do you guys know the Greek myth of Callisto? No, I don't. Oh, I didn't know. That's They got real clever, didn't they, with that name? I didn't know there was a Greek myth about a Callisto. Yeah, it's Greek and also, you know, Roman myth. But Callisto was one of the nymphs who gets seduced by Jupiter. And it, Zeus and Jupiter, you know, they're the same person. In certain myths, Jupiter raped her. Zeus slash Jupiter raped everyone. Yeah. Sometimes in the form of a swan. And then Hera or Juno, depending on if you're Greek or 
Roman, but Zeus's wife got really pissed at Callisto and transformed her into a bear. And then she got killed by her own son who was out hunting. And now, if you look up in the sky, Ursa Major is the bear star constellation because of Callisto. Oh, okay. I have no idea what this has to do with smart home screen power. I don't think anything. They must have just accidentally picked a corresponding (laughs) name. I don't even understand this. I'm guessing this whole Callisto thing works on Tesla theory of energy like where yeah you don't need a grid but we'll get elena oh and there's a problem with the code in the blockchain and i'm like none of this means anything right like i don't even know what blockchain means i've tried to understand that i know it's the big buzzword but i'm i'm like this this is a blockchain energy source like okay you're just saying buzzwords arnie you're the programmer (laughs) yeah i I wanted arnie to clarify this blockchain is a type of cryptography it's used with bitcoin and highly secure kind of a peer-to-peer type but i think she is just rattling off buzzwords yeah what does that have to do with these callistos that are gonna light up your house callisto is basically an amazon alexa but it also will provide power because they're gonna have this big demonstration at brock corporation where they cut the power from the grid did she rap in front of everybody there is that what <laughs> yeah, happened they're lighting that candle and like Okay, here's where I'm confused, because she goes to see her boss. We can't go live with this because it could be used to actually hurt people. Like, we haven't got that code all down. He's like, no, you can't see Brock. Steve Jobs is off access to you. I'll take care of it. She walks down the hall, runs into, like, the receptionist who's like, you drop something. Here, hands her a card. I'm like, oh, this is someone that wants her to go see Brock. And she just gave her the card to his floor or something. Cut scene. She is rapping in front of a candle for the go live presentation it is confusing the thing she's given i could tell was a townsend agency card you see the new geometric angel wing design that they're gonna have that are like high-tech tattoos on the angels yeah you you did see that there's like a little glint of the gold on that card you could see that's weird so like if i want to ask my boss for a raise but my boss is too busy to see me i could call the angels and they'll set up that meeting it feels like a very low stakes mission We're going to see at the end that a lot of the angels who assemble at the end, like they did at the beginning, all those angels from various places, Elena recognizes a lot of them. This woman who says you dropped something is an angel undercover at the Brock Corporation pretending to be a secretary. Did they already know about this problem then? I'm guessing they knew something. (laughs) Let's jump ahead. We're going to find out later on. Elizabeth Bosley, that's what I called her in my notes. (laughs) Elizabeth Bosley. (laughs) Doesn't trust Patrick Stewart Bosley and has been spying on him and things. So maybe, and this is me just retconning in my own mind at this moment, maybe Elizabeth Bosley found out that John Bosley was meeting with people at the Brock Corporation, and so Elizabeth Bosley put moles in Brock to try to figure out what John Bosley was doing. Yeah, they could have said that with a line of dialogue when they're revealing that Angel's been around them the whole time. That would have helped. It just plays weird. Like, this is, again, very low-key stakes at the beginning for me because it's just someone that wants to tell her boss that there's a problem with the technology he's about to release. I got that it was an Angel giving her the card, but yeah, then we cut and we see Elena... This is supposed to endear us to her, right? Because she's in front of a microphone. I think they're doing a mic test or something. Yeah, everyone's in the room. We're going to find out. Yeah, there's no like curtain pulled back or anything. She's just rapping in front of these people. I have given presentations at many conventions. 
I now would like to start everyone <laughs> by rapping. It's tricky. This piece is my recital. I think it's very vital. And then she goes back and like high fives her co-programmer who's going to be a minor character in this whole thing, Langston. And then, yeah, she was doing this in front of the whole company and Fleming is there who like does a gong show and gongs her off the mic. I don't get that moment, but I like Run DMC, so <laughs> I'm into it. It does feel like if... I guess Drew Barrymore is one of the producers or maybe an executive producer. Like she took a check so her name would be on it. But like that does feel like something out of one of those McGee, <laughs> Charlie's Angels. Just like, let's break out into a rap because it's quirky. And so you'll laugh. But yeah, they're giving this presentation of Callisto. We get to meet Alexander Brock, another actor who I'm just not very familiar with, Sam Clayton. Yeah, there's a lot of people that looked familiar, and then I went to IMDb, I'm like, no, I don't know, I guess they just have a generic look, where I think I've seen him before, because, yeah, I didn't recognize a whole lot of these people's credits. We know this guy, I mean, he was in a Pirates of the Caribbean film, and he was Finnick in the Mockingjay Hunger Games film, so I know I've seen him, I just don't remember him. I don't remember who Finnick was in the Hunger Games. I wasn't on the Pirates of the Caribbean series. He's probably under six pounds of seaweed makeup anyway. <laughs> but he's there and we get to see every programmer's nightmare, right? The boss is there like I, with a little help from my team, have developed this thing. And yeah, Brock is all excited that this is going to be the second coming because we get this long speech from Fleming about how we all know Thomas Edison because he created the light bulb, but three other people created the light bulb and Thomas Edison was just the first to market, which is a good lesson. I mean, I, I do think that what Fleming is saying there has value. What you build means nothing if you don't let people know and put it in the hands. So that's why they're anxious to get Callisto out there as Apple and Amazon and Google are probably also all working on adapting their smart home devices so they could also be your power source. Yeah, I might get an Alexa if it could get me off the grid, which I'll still be on the grid because it's an Alexa and it's reporting back to Amazon, but whatever. It'll get you off the power grid, but it won't get you off the grid. And seeing what my power bill is, that might be worth trading my privacy for. <laughs> and after this, we then cut and we get to see Damon Hansau's Bosley is in Hamburg meeting with Elena at a coffee shop. Okay, you know, I expected more angel-y things, like, there's one scene in the movie, which is next, where they do, like, angel-level work. This is just pretending to be a waitress, and they set up this huge red herring with the flash drive. Yeah, you have your ninja angel dressed up as a barista serving coffee. You have your angel who is supposed to be the distraction. She's the one that's supposed to draw the attention. That's what we saw Kristen Stewart doing at the beginning. She's off doing surveillance, like a building across the street with that is a huge lens on her iPhone. I, I guess you could get those. Yes, you can, actually. <laughs> it's a big thing to get those. We have some tiny ones, but nothing like that big. But she's too far away to provide any support. I mean... Didn't pick a building with an elevator. No. Bad decision. <laughs> yeah, and she's running down the stairs, and by the time she gets there, it's too damn late. I'm gonna give this to Banks, or more than likely, I should credit Bill Pope, who is the cinematographer here. He comes from Raimi. His first film was Darkman. He also did Army of Darkness. He did the Spider-Man films. 
And he did Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which is just gorgeously shot. But I really like the shot of her running down the stairs where we barely see her and it's just like descending the center of the spiral staircase. There are cool shots throughout this film, but this as a scene, you're right, Marjorie, we're going to see this whole thing about a jump drive. We're going to see it sink and it's never going to get brought up again. Instead, we see Jane noticing... Guys, the creepy thin man is in this movie. Like they brought that character back. I couldn't believe it. But yeah, you have this tattooed. I think his name is Hordak, which that was the She-Ra Skeletor, right? Yes, it was, wasn't it? It's, it sounds very familiar. And I'm like, what is that name? He also looked a lot like Robert Patrick did when he was in Terminator. Yeah, I got a Robert Patrick vibe. I thought it was Robert Patrick. They de-aged and deflated him? Yeah, he's not looking great these days. No. No, but this Jonathan Tucker... I didn't get a bead on how old he was because he had so many tattoos. He just looked old to me. But yes, Hordak is She-Ra's arch nemesis. <laughs> okay. Maybe that was an intentional name drop because yes, She-Ra, that's the girl power version of He-Man. But yeah, Hordak is sitting there typing total nonsense on a typewriter. Like again, I thought that typewriter was supposed to throw off Jane's ability to hear the conversation. Because she just, the typing becomes really loud. And if you're trying to be secret, don't walk in with a typewriter. Like, first of all, who walks in with a typewriter? And also, they're real noisy. Wait a second. No, come on, Jacob. Hipsters. I don't think hipsters even do that. No, they're back in. Vintage typewriters. I thought he had a typewriter that was hooked up to a laptop. Like, it was typing and it was his laptop keyboard. But he's got, like, a screen there and a mirror there. He is really piss poor. He needs to go to angel training (laughs) to learn covert surveillance because he does nothing but draw attention to himself. Yeah, he's typing nonsense. We'll see Jane looks at the paper and it's not uh, all work, no play makes Jack a dull boy. It's just gibberish. He's, like, not even paying attention. Again, I thought this was going to be kind of a more grounded angels and it's kind of just as silly as the McGee stuff. But we get a good fight here. I like the fight choreography because it doesn't take much for Jane to make Hordak, he can't say that name with a straight face, <laughs> reveal himself. And so they get into a fight. I like that they're like sliding tables at each other, going above the table, under the table. But these angels use guns, which we didn't see in the early 2000s movies. But I'm sorry, but if you've got a gun, that fight's over. Yeah, this film, we'll get to some scenes, but it treats death very strangely as a joke. But yeah, we'll see angels with guns here. What, they're coded to them? Because we'll see Hordak gets Jane's gun, but he can't fire it. Yeah, I'm guessing it's one of those palm reader things. They never really explain it. You just kind of have to know other sci-fi tech. I've seen Sylvester Stallone's Judge Dredd. I get it. (laughs) And then we get a decent car chase. Damon Bosley is driving. Jane's in the car with him. And Sabina is trying to catch up on motorcycle. Yeah, it's... Decent. I wish it was all just better. Like, I, th- I think about Atomic Blonde, which I don't think had a huge budget, and that's got a car chase. Like, this one, it's fine. It works. I'm really bothered by the cheap muzzle effects that they used when machine guns are firing back and forth. There's a lot of YouTube videos I watched about how to do good flash effects with uh, muzzle fire, and so it really stands out now when they're bad, so this looked pretty cheap to me, but it's all right. Like, that that's my problem with this movie. Everything's just kind of all right. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. It passes. It's fine. Nothing really stands out as 
phenomenal in this movie. Nothing makes me go, wow, this is really cool, or I really like this character or anything, or I'm invested in this movie. Nothing to draw me to any of the characters. I did think Elena, especially in this meeting, she's very Disney with the wide eyes and the big eyes. And Oh, she, Naomi Scott, I think she's awful. Like her acting, she must have come right off the set of Aladdin, where she played Princess Jasmine. She did Lemonade Mouth, which is another Disney thing, but she feels very Disney, which is weird because she played this angsty lesbian teen in Power Rangers, and I thought she was pretty decent in that role. But here, yeah, it's always wide-eyed and... I guess she's supposed to play the comedic bystander and she just she doesn't pull it off for me. Yeah, I'm guessing that Elizabeth Banks saw her on Power Rangers and it's like, hey, you come with me. We're going to go do this other movie. I think she's okay. I don't dislike her in this movie. I rank her second. I Again, I feel bad for Jane because she's given nothing to do. Elena is given stuff to do and does it okay, but she just does come off very generic. Yeah, for me, it's Jane's off saving Elena, who's in this car that's been pushed into the river by Hordak. And again, Kristen Stewart kind of comes along to save the scene on that motorcycle, like crashes it into Hordak. There's little glimpses where I'm like, man, I wish they would have done this style more. But like when she first gets up, she's kind of got her head tilted with that motorcycle helmet on. It looks real cool, but then it doesn't really go anywhere. I just I wish there was more of a sense of style in this movie. It's a perfectly generic action film. Yeah, generic is where I'd put this action. It's competent. I admire certain things about it that I don't see in regular action films. I mean, using the tables, using the motorcycle to trip a person. They're doing creative things, whereas it's not just punch, punch, punch. I feel like they're reaching for, but not grasping, the creativity of the Bourne series, where they're trying to use different things as weapons. Yeah, it feels like they're going for something more grounded, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, because McGee sucks at wire work, but I I, I don't want those moves replicated, but because this isn't going to be a totally grounded film, I just, yeah, maybe do some of that wire stuff, have better trainers and and better cinematographer to shoot all this so it doesn't look like those previous Angels films, but it, it never really commits to a sense of style for me. Yeah, and here they set up the dominoes and they're falling exactly as I expected they would. Damon Hansau gets shot in the neck and dies underwater, whereas Jane is able to save Elena. Kristen Stewart prevents Hordak from shooting them with a machine gun as soon as they come to the surface. I did like Hordak's car, by the way. That, like, mini tank with a freaking Gatlin gun. Yeah, that's the (laughs) SUV I want, by the way. It seemed to be like the same gun in the same style, if not the same car, that Sam Jackson had in Winter Soldier. Yeah, Fury had that, right? <laughs> but yeah, it, I, I enjoy the tech here. I'm glad the guns are back. You know, I liked the wire foo of the McG first film. But here, yeah, I like the guns. And I like that they're going to give the Angels Trank guns so that they're able to kind of ride that line where... You're not murdering hundreds of people. Although they they do some murders here. We're about to get to some murders. And it's really weird how they react to them. But yeah, we'll get there. (laughs) But the next step is because they lost the thumb drive. They're going into Brock Corporation not to get data, which is what I thought because you had a thumb drive. Yeah. But they're going to try to actually steal the physical Callistos, which look like a D20 to me. It's like some Dungeons & Dragons player was the prop master. Yeah, it does look like a 16-sided die. And they're looking through the employee directory, and they're like, bowl cut, bowl cut. And I'm wondering what this all refers to. And now they all show up dressed identically in blonde wigs so that 
The security people can't even tell them apart, though one is African-American. <laughs> well, they always have their backs to the camera conveniently. Well, and this is the only angel-like mission that we get in this entire movie because they're under disguise. I mean, that's one cool thing, even back to the original TV show is, I mean, they do disguises, they, you know, assume other personas. Yeah, and I thought this was, again, it's kind of fun. Not totally Jason Bourne, but more on that spot side of the spectrum than what McGee did with, yeah, with all the ways they infiltrated those buildings uh, by putting on mustaches and beards and all that. I, I like this. I, again, it, there's a little sense of style, a sense of fun where, yeah, the security guards are trying to find Elena, but they, you know, there's three, these three are all dressed the same when you see them from behind, so they're running all over to different floors, and big surprise, the Callista... What are they? The prototypes that were going to be used to mass manufacturing or just some special ones? They're already stolen. They get there. They're too late. This was the most fun of the entire movie, I think, was this sequence because of the disguises and then the reveal at the end where it's actually like a receptionist who has that bowl cut. Yeah, you see who Bullcut was that they were referencing when they were looking at the employee directory. Yeah, I like at this point, I had high hopes for them. Like, okay, maybe they're going to do some fun stuff because that was part of the fun of the TV show and of the, I hate to say it, in the garbage movies. But I mean, they did things like this where they did disguises and there was like these little bits of brevity and the seriousness of their missions. And this is all we get for fun. I agree. This is my favorite scene of the film. First of all, one of the most fun things is the flashbacks where they steal the badges and seeing Kristen Stewart at the gym and she's like flirting with the desk clerk. She's flirting with another girl there, but she's stealing the security guard's badge and he's signing up for a spin class. So she knows she thinks when she can get in. Jane, she does a ninja move, knocks him out. Yeah. Does the Vulcan death grip on him. <laughs> That's right. And I don't know why, though, they stole the badges of male security guards when they're pretending to be bowl cut. I don't know why they didn't replicate or something Elena's badge because... Well, they don't even bother to tell us how they got into the building. We see Elena, how she gets in. She just scans her badge, but Sabina and Jane are already there. And there's the security guard, Ralph, and he's watching every time they open a door and seeing it's not them. It's some security guard. And instead of thinking the logical thing, which is they have the wrong badge, he thinks the illogical thing, the system yes. is buggy. We have the world's best software engineers. They created smart energy Alexas, and we can't keep our badge system right. <laughs> that, well, that, that is kind of true true to real life like that is always the human element is the flaw in every security <laughs> system and I think they try to set this up Ralph he sees Elena scan in and then he goes out to probably sexually harass her like makes her do the whole metal security guard check it seems he has a thing for her and so this is his way to kind of spend time with her so I get why he's like oh no that's Elena so it must be a faulty system I think that's why they have Ralph have such an interest in her Ralph does tell her to smile which of course is that's uh, I rolled my eyes harder than Kristen Stewart does at any point in this movie because that is such yeah you, we want to make a feminist statement how you want to make a guy look awful have him tell a woman to smile it's kind of lazy at this point but that is how they played in media I know yeah it's shorthand for sexism it really just instantly giving it to him but does he deserve death for this no because he's going to be killed. They are going to give him a stroke and leave him dead on the floor. And they're going to refer to Elena as Ralph Killer as a joke. But I don't think telling a woman to smile is exactly 
the smartest thing to do, but I don't think you need to be executed for that sin. Yeah, again, I'm trying to, what is the meta reason behind the the casual attitude towards death in this movie? And again, are they trying to go off of, well, you know, Stallone would have done this and no one would have batted an eye that he made a pun after killing someone. I'm like, are they trying to do that and confront you with your sexism because now you're questioning it because it's females? But it sticks out how casual they treat it. Ralph dies of this seizure. That's the whole reason Fleming is stealing these devices to sell because they could create death that can't be traced to anything and yeah they're like oh no 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 he's fine and then hard cut to surveillance video of the ambulance throwing the blanket over him because he's dead ha ha like people were laughing (laughs) but i do like the thing where jane needs a diversion and so she tells sabina to do something attention getting at sabina's again kristen stewart steals this movie she's like (laughs) oh my god there's so many options and she ends up dancing while making monkey noises (laughs) and meanwhile jane runs into langston and silently they build a smoke bomb together he like slides her the gummy bears that will be the activating agent is that why Oh, because, again, they do where they're going to take a jab at the men, you know, go make me a sandwich, where they have Jane actually make Langston a sandwich, and then he doesn't want to eat it because she put her lips on the mayo pack, and he's like, there's germs, but he's going to take a bite anyway. She didn't make him a sandwich. What happened was he was ineffective. He couldn't even open a mayo packet, and in the middle of setting her trap, she felt bad for this cute dork and opened his mayo packet with her teeth. Yeah, but no, she puts the spread on there. She hands it to him, and so... I thought he was just sharing his gummy bears because she made him a sandwich. But no, so that was used to make the bomb? Yes, they have this mousetrap-like Rube Goldberg thing that when they release a cable, the gummy bears fall in, and it's full of phosphorus, which is his favorite chemical. And so you know it's love. And this is like the most character we get for Jane here is when Chris is like, are you flirting with the cute nerd? Yeah, I thought that was a little funny moment because she is just such a ninja, like just so emotionless. It was funny to see how this kind of person would flirt. And yeah, it's over making a bomb and chemicals and all that. But then she just goes back to being Jane, like not a laugh to be had. No, I'm surprised how much (laughs) they forget about Langston in the movie until the very end. They certainly don't Luke Wilson him with her in this film. Oh, is that an official term now? Luke Wilson him? (laughs) But from this, we have a really weird cut where we go to London. And remember Patrick Stewart's in this movie? We have to remind you. Yes. Where he's at a watch shop and they're checking the watch to see if there's a tracer in it. I was thinking that when he got the watch, I'm like, no, there's some device in there. (laughs) No, it's in the drink. Yeah, they'll find out the, the guy checking the watch his metal detector thing goes off when he's like giving him a hug and he's like, Oh, it's in your bones indeed. And you get a cut to that glass of whiskey or scotch that he drank at his retirement party. I'm assuming that tracker's just floating. Like he would have had to pass that by now. Right. Or some nanotechnology where it just like grabs onto a bone and stays there. You know, he, he probably is a regular, so it's probably still in his body. He's pretty old. He's drinking prune juice. He is evacuating those bowels regularly. Yes, but he drank it, and his prostate's probably the size of a football. And I don't know if if most old men are anything like my boss at work, but he stands at the urinal with a smartphone because he's pissing drops for so long. So I imagine that thing stuck up in there for the rest of his life. 
And, and this told me, I'm like, oh, now you're, you're trying real hard to convince me Elizabeth Banks Bosley is the bad guy because, you know, it, it is Patrick Stewart. I do feel like I'm more sympathetic to him because he's Picard. He's like, he's the good guy, right? And so, yeah, you have this moment and he's like, oh, I knew she was doing this. And like, they, they I'm like, you're trying a little too hard to cast Banks Bosley in this bad light. It's got to be Patrick Stewart at this point. That's the bad guy. What I don't understand is the scene where we see Elizabeth Bosley. I'm just going to keep calling her that because <laughs> well, she's called Rebecca <laughs> once or twice. But yeah, no, it's so funny because when Demon Bosley died, Elizabeth Bosley's like, his name was Edgar. And I'm like, is, are we in Fight Club all of a sudden? Like, <laughs> in death, you have a name. <laughs> You're no longer a Bosley, Meatloaf Bosley. You get a name. <laughs> but she meets with somebody at the car and is like, it's been tracked to Istanbul. What do I do with Elena? You know what to do. And that is completely telling us that Elizabeth Banks is being duplicitous. Now, in hindsight, she was meeting with Charlie, right? I don't know. Charlie's such a non-entity in this movie. I forgot he existed along with Patrick Stewart. Yeah, I just knew it was in John Forsyth. I'm like, oh, they got a voice actor that's trying to sound like that, but not quite there. I thought that they chefed John Forsyth. John Forsyth is dead. Yeah, I thought they took maybe old audio and used a AI to, you know, be able to do an impersonation because it does sound a little bit more robotic, which we'll find out why. But yeah, the movie tricked me in tricking me because I came in and I'm like, Patrick Stewart's the bad guy. And then I'm like, Patrick Stewart's not in the movie anymore. And now I'm like, wait, is Elizabeth Banks making herself the bad guy? She was the bad guy in Power Rangers and everybody loved it. Would she just relegate herself to be the behind the camera person if there are sequels and take the juicier role? Everybody loves to play the bad guy. Would she be the bad guy here? Is that what they're telling us? So that I went in knowing what this movie was doing, but it does it in such a confusing way that it fooled me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the reason Elizabeth Bosley's not around a whole lot. I think she's behind the scenes trying to head off Patrick Bosley. I, I think there's some line given to that, that that's what she was up to while the other girls were on their mission. Yeah. And they start to recruit Elena a little bit. We get this scene where they go to Berlin and we meet Saint, who I really thought would actually be a big part of this movie for some reason, because we're introduced to so many people. I don't know why we have to have this chef, psychologist, chiropractor. Because it's funny, kind of. Like, again, I wish everything was amplified more. Yeah, he, he's Coco from the first episode of Golden Girls. He does everything. But he's not that amusing and... I don't, maybe to show they have a male concubine, kind of, that takes care of them instead of them taking care of the men. I don't know. I'm going to make a prediction here, though. Elizabeth Banks made a Charlie's Angels film. I think she wanted to make a Kingsman film. Because when they go in there and find the wardrobe and the Altoids that are maybe explosive. They have wardrobe from those McGarbage, Charlie's Angels. Like, they, again, <laughs> zoom in. They want to remind me it's the same universe and don't remind me of that film. But this scene is straight out of Kingsman, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's just, again, to me, it's all James Bond. It's the Q scene. It's the gadget. I like how they explain a bulletproof bra or corset or sports bra, whatever it is, way better in this one than when they try to do it with Drew Barrymore's angels. We see Elena. She's, you know, she wants to grab the Altoids and Saints like, you know what? Just don't touch anything. A lot of it's explosive. Like, I'm like, okay, I recognize that. That's a good attempt at humor. I, I could see why people are laughing at that. I'm not going to laugh out loud, but uh, an amusing line. The problem with this scene is there was no journey to get there and there's no payoff after except for the Altoids, which 
why are they bright blue, those things? Because you'd think you'd want them maybe to blend in. Open the Altoids and have them look like Altoids? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I don't even know what they are. Just you stick them on someone and it makes you pass out for a while. There, were, there was no lead up to get to here. Yeah, they did have fun gadgets in the other movies and the TV show, but they made them. They, they did that. There was nothing that these angels did. Because it's franchise now. That's just how things are. You want to be a Star Wars geek, a Marvel geek. You don't have to do any work. It's just go to YouTube, watch some videos. You can catch up on everything. You don't have to search in dark comic book stores for back issues anymore. It's, just, it's all available. I do feel like this is a very modern take on the angels. It's, it's already set up and there for you to use. And really what these angels are there to do is chase a MacGuffin. And the MacGuffin is the Callisto device. And they end up chasing it to Istanbul, not Constantinople. <laughs> That's immediately when I thought of when they said Istanbul. <laughs> yes, my wife turned to me and started singing that song. <laughs> and there we get as much of where we're ever going to get of Jane's character development because to find Fleming, who stole Callisto, they need a contact and she has a contact from her MI6 days who runs a health clinic that got blown up because MI6 didn't help the way Jane had promised they would. And this is why Jane has no sense of humor is because people died because of her. You got that much out of that? Or are you in- inferring? No, it's all there. It's, I don't know how well it's sold, but it's all okay. there. It didn't sell. Yeah, it didn't because I barely remember this. I just know she's going to meet up with an old contact in Istanbul. And because it's women, they're going to get her birth control and maxi pads to hand out to poor people there, I guess. And so she's going to help them. Yeah, I saw maxi pads, tampons, birth control. And the thing that really won her over, the foot bath. She wanted that for herself. I think there are adult diapers, too, in there. She's just taking care of all women of all ages in Istanbul. But that leads them to another fun undercover mission that leads to nothing. Did they just want (laughs) to put Kristen Stewart in a French maid's outfit? Because she goes in and pretends to be a maid in Fleming's hotel room, but doesn't really find much. Jane's the one who finds out information by trailing him. Yeah, she juice jacks his computer, like gets all the information on there. I don't know what it was used for. Yeah, I never saw that used. It's it's as useful as the thumb drive at the bottom of the river. (laughs) And we get an action scene at the racetrack. And Elena is suited up. She was given gear. They're indoctrinating her. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Neil Breen. He is this independently rich real estate guy that lives in Vegas that makes really bad movies. And they've kind of become like Tommy Wiseau cult favorites but he he is the ultimate mary sue because he stars in all of them and he's always the (laughs) ultimate hacker he could hack anything and so when they say that about elena they're like you could hack anything like just walk into this horse race and hack the camera i'm like oh so she's neil breen that's not a good place to go but like yes just i don't know arnie can hackers just hack anything if you know how to hack one system does it apply to everything i feel like there's specialized systems sadly they're not all that specialized if you're on site and able to get on the network and you're able to use your password crackers and get past the initial bit. I mean, it a hospital was just shut down in Alabama because hackers hacked its medical system and they couldn't admit new patients. What? I didn't know about that. Yeah. That's crazy. And let's not even count the number of hackers that can get on your iPhone and see you and see what you're doing and activate your phone camera. So I hope they enjoy me singing to my dogs. <laughs> Many people I work with in IT put 
electrical tape over all the cameras on their laptops and things. Oh, yeah, I do that. My Yeah. <laughs> so I no longer find it impossible that you could hack anything that's on a network. It is the only system that's unhackable is one that is powered off and disconnected and sh- put in a corner. <laughs> So I, I went with her hacking. Yes, it's movie hacking. Yes, it's not real. Yeah, she walks into a closet and now she has access to all the security cameras. Yeah, if you want to see real hacking at work, go watch Mr. Robot. Yes, Everything done there is real. Yeah, if you want to see people sit in front of a terminal and just type commands, that's real hacking. It's kind of boring, but yes, watch Mr. Robot. Great show. But the commands he types are real commands. Yes. <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah, I go to those websites where they critique his hacking in every episode. But here I just roll with it. What I don't go with is Jane, who's going to have a sniper rifle with crank darts <laughs> up in a tower. All right, I go with all of this, except she's wearing a pink shirt that is highly visible. They show like a long shot of this tower and you see this pink shirt fill the entire area. And she's holding a rifle. <laughs> yes, nobody at the racetrack has looked up and gone, what's that woman doing with a gun? <laughs> Yeah, no, this whole scene. See, this should have been more fun in this one because they were undercover. There should have been an element of fun and danger in this. Yeah, I I love the shot when Sabina, like she's in her jockey outfit and you get this reveal that her riding crop, it's actually electrified and you see that little shot of electricity come out of it, like setting up what would happen later. But I'm like, oh, that's kind of fun. But yeah, the scene kind of just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, it should have been a lot of fun, like bowl cut, but it just, it completely fell flat. And maybe this was a screenwriting flaw. It was putting so much at stake with Elena because she really couldn't do anything. And you weren't even rooting for her at this point. What I enjoyed here was watching fake Kristen Stewart ride the horse to chase after the van (laughs) and then leap off the horse to throw the spider tracer. I'm sorry, but Kristen Stewart would stand out among jockeys because she's probably three foot taller than all of them and probably 100 pounds heavier. (laughs) Not saying she's big. No, but jockeys are really small. Jockeys are picked for being tiny people. Yeah, she's 5'5". Five five. She's a giant among jockeys. Yeah. That's too tall, yeah. But I enjoy the chase here. I do think that they did some pretty bad CGI face replacement on whoever's riding that horse. <laughs> and Elizabeth Banks is in an ambulance keeping up and Elena and Jane and eventually Sabina get in the ambulance and they go to some place that I've never thought of since I watched the Flintstones last. <laughs> a rock quarry. <laughs> And now a lot of stuff comes back. This movie, I think it's farm to table movie making. They try to waste nothing because (laughs) now we have Australia Johnny coming back. Yeah, and this is where Elizabeth Bosley is going to mysteriously disappear. They're like, where is she gone? Australia Johnny's there. Hordak's there. Fleming's there. It's all about stopping this sale of Callista, which... Is kind of pointless because they want Fleming to activate and he doesn't even know how. He didn't read the instruction manual. He's like, I sent you the PDF of the instructions. You got that? Just read that. It will help you. Yeah, he's not a hacker. And could he even do it? Because it's shown that in order to do it, you have to have root access, as they call it here, which is different than any Linux root access I've ever dealt with. But okay, (laughs) here, getting root access is having Alexander Brock put his thumb on the device. They imply because Elena can hack anything that she could do it, but in the end, they're just going to bring Brock in to put his fingerprint there. 
And so here, because nobody really knows except Elena how to do this. So they actually need Elena alive, but they think that because he stole it, Fleming would know how to hack it. And so they try to make him kill somebody. And in the end, out comes Hordak and just shoots him in the head. I thought it was a little premature. He seemed to be resisting because he didn't want to kill a random person, not because he didn't know how, but I guess he didn't know how. Yeah, I figured Fleming was going to be dead already. It's just, it's just a cheaper way to go. Now you don't have to pay him anything. So help me understand this. I'll try. <laughs> I'm really confused about this whole plot. Okay. So Brock, we're going to find out, hired Patrick Bosley. Patrick Bosley hired Australia Johnny, and basically it's, you're part of my crew now because I'm not going to turn you in. A year ago when we saw Australia Johnny get arrested, he never went to jail because he became a henchman for Patrick Bosley. Yes. And one of them, one of those two, Australia Johnny or Patrick Bosley, hired Hordak as the assassin. And we're going to find out that Alexander Brock is perfectly okay with sending these weaponizable smart home devices out because he wants to be first to market. Yeah, but he's not in on the death scheme like Patrick Bosley is. Patrick Bosley wants these because he could kill people and not be traced. Brock knows that's an issue, but that he doesn't care. He just wants to sell Callisto. Couldn't they just release a patch after it gets to market? <laughs> <laughs> that actually sounds like something Google would do. Let's sell this possibly fatal device and we'll just do a software update. Well, I know every time I buy a video game, I got to wait an hour while it does hundreds of megabytes of patches. Gigabytes sometimes. That's Arnie's <laughs> big complaint about game. I want to play. Buy a game and then come back in two hours when it's done downloading. <laughs> but all right, here's what I don't understand. And I'm going to make a guess. Fleming's role in all of this. Did Fleming steal the devices to sell just to some underworld contact and he didn't care who and that's why we have like the chic and all these people at the racetrack yeah he was gonna sell it to the highest bidder but because jane accidentally shot the wrong person that ruined the whole meetup i don't know because then it just seems like they were gonna sell it to hordak the whole time and if hordak was the buyer the whole time why bother going through all this brock had the callistos Brock's top employee stole the Callistos to sell them back to Brock via Australia Johnny? But he didn't know he was selling to Brock? I'm really confused now. And Brock hired Patrick Bosley as a security guy before they were stolen, right? He didn't hire him to get this back. Right. So why didn't Patrick Bosley... Why didn't he just steal them directly? Did Brock or Bosley <laughs> tell Fleming to steal them? Or did Fleming go rogue and this entire movie exists because Fleming's a bad employee? Yeah, I think it's because Fleming is a bad employee. <laughs> but then he was selling it back to the people from whom he stole it without knowing it because Australia Johnny's the middle guy. Look, this movie is too long. It's almost two hours. Keep it to 90 minutes, folks. And yeah, it, it just gets more convoluted. I, I wish it was more streamlined. Yeah, no, these things popped up in my head as I was watching. I'm like, I'm just going to tuck them away. If they want answers to them, they'll give it to me. If not, they, they don't care. And so I shouldn't care. Yeah, but talking it out loud, I'm like... It's even worse, you yeah. know? No, it's it's pretty generic action film bad. And also bad, all of a sudden, Australia Johnny sees Sabina and instantly goes back into hitting on her mode. And I don't think it's a diversion. I think he's into her. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's how I took it. He's thinking with the wrong head? Yeah, guys do that a lot. Yeah. 
But we do get another fight scene here. I'm not going to say it's a great fight, but I do like the multi-level of it. And here's where there's some casual deaths. First, a guard gets knocked out with a trank dart, but he falls from like the third story down. Oh, he's dead. He's definitely dead. (laughs) And then Elena needs to hack the computer, so they knock out a security guard, and she and the other angel just drag him out and throw him off a third story level too. And he just like murdering this guy. They just knocked out. Uh, You know, I didn't take these deaths as to be as weird as Ralph, the security guard, because it is a shootout. They're facing off against the bad guys, but yeah, it's yeah. Throwing people off and we'll see Elena. She's taking on some security guard and I call her Mary Sue. Cause she's just so kick-ass. She's whipping him with that mouse and beating this huge dude up. But we're supposed to get from this that if Elizabeth Bosley had been there, then it wouldn't have been so bad where Sabina goes on a conveyor belt and is trapped in a rock crusher with Nameless Goon. Yeah, this is all shot better in Temple of Doom. (laughs) Like this whole rock crushing thing. (laughs) To me, again, it just goes on too long and it's not that exciting. This is where I started checking my watch, and I'm like, yeah. it feels like this should be the climax. Like, yep. we have our climax where we reveal it's Australia Johnny and all of this is happening, but instead, nothing really comes out of this. They walk away. They didn't stop Hordak. They didn't stop Australia Johnny. Yeah, Elena uses the Altoid mints and knocks herself out. Mm-hmm. And so they're getting her home with a... In a movie that's too long, I like the scene, but shouldn't you have cut the scene of Kristen Stewart making faces at the little kid? Yeah. I don't know why that's in there. Like, there's one scene, I can't remember where it fell in, but, you know, it's the angels and Saint and Elizabeth Bosley, and they're talking about the Birdman of Alcatraz and, you know, Burt Lancaster. No, I thought Michael Keaton played Birdman. No, he played Batman. No, that was Ben Affleck. I don't think he played any. Like, I'm like, oh, that's that's kind of funny. Like, keep that stuff in. But yeah, Kristen Stewart just making faces. Is that a kid? That's weird. I really, really wanted Sabina to say, no, Robert Pattinson's Batman. <laughs> I know. I thought they were going to go there. <laughs> yeah, there are these scenes. I did kind of laugh when they're asking Elizabeth Banks, how old are you? There are young film buffs. Yeah, no, that stuff was good. But that was like the only part where I think I actually did audibly laugh. And I didn't even audibly laugh. I just kind of smiled. Well, we went so long without any fun. And then these little bits were like, oh, there's something funny, but it's not really that funny. It's not enough. But what I think should have happened at the Rock Quarry happens next. And it's a replay from the first McGee Charlie's Angels. They get back to the Townsend Agency and it blows up. It also happens in full throttle, not at the Townsend Agency, but that car blows. Like, that's just a thing, I guess, that happens to Angels. They get blown up (laughs) and thrown back. But here... They play it like Jane and Sabina may have died. We only see Elena as the survivor. She stumbles out, and at this point, the three women have talked about how they think Elizabeth Bosley's the actual bad guy now, and we see her walking up, but Patrick Bosley shows up and shoots Elizabeth. This all goes back to the early 2000 Charlie's Angels movies where they're not very good detectives. This is a detective agency, and every single time they fall for the red herrings. Every single time. No, I I get what you're saying. They should have. There's thousands of angels at this point. There's got to be one good at sleuthing. Yeah. Get her in this threesome. I don't know. Maybe find a descendant of Sherlock Holmes or something. I don't know. (laughs) Agatha Christie must have some great grandkids or something. But Christ, get some sleuthing skills, ladies. 
And I wish this movie just made the mystery harder to figure out, because right before the explosion, Elena gets a call from Patrick Bosley. Elena gets a call, and they call out Elena saying, why am I getting a call on my personal phone? Because he only wants Elena to escape because they need Elena in order to find out how to weaponize it. The root access. (laughs) Well, no, they have Brock for that. Yeah, but they need her. They think they need her. Then we get a shootout where Patrick Bosley and Elizabeth Bosley are shooting at each other. Elizabeth Bosley yells for Elena to get down. So we, again... It's not difficult to guess that that's the good person. And you get Hordak showing up and he kind of walks over and just looks at her dead body, then walks away. I'm like, well, he seems pretty pleased that she's dead. So she can't be the bad guy because you're a bad guy, Hordak. You you should be sad. So, yeah, they they give it all away here. If you hadn't figured it out yet, I think this is going to tell you. I hate when you find out somebody's in a movie, though, and then they end up being a non-role in the beginning, and you're like, oh, they're going to come back as a bad guy, which is what happened here. But they took so long to get there that I actually thought for like a brief 30 seconds that Elizabeth Banks was being set up to be the bad guy because they took so long to bring Patrick Stewart back, which I guess was the point. But you always know. It'd be an interesting experiment to rewrite the film where they reveal early on that it's Patrick. I think they would create some more tension because, you know, like you have the anti-angels versus the angels. Here's someone that knows all the angel secrets. Now he's working against them. Like we've seen that in James Bond. I think it was Skyfall where you like meet the anti-James Bond who was former MI6 and knows all their secrets and how they work and is able to exploit that. You could have some fun with that here. Yeah, they want to keep it a mystery because I guess that's what you do in generic action films. So that's what they do here. And is Elena really stupid or is the movie playing dumb i think she's pretty stupid at least based on her acting in this movie because it's going to be another maybe 10 minutes of movie time before she realizes patrick bosley is evil she's going to be in his office he's acting evil he's saying evil things but she's not going to be able to figure it out for quite a while longer Yeah, it's going to take her a while. And you know what? I felt stupid because we're going to cut back to Jane and Sabina. And all of a sudden, there's this whole scene. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't trust you as much. And now I know why you are. I'm like, wait, wait, this this was a a dramatic character conflict in this film. Like these are arcs I was supposed to be reading from their performance and from the writing. And this is resolving something that was supposed to be there the whole time. I, I didn't know that because there are no character arcs. It was a weird scene. And beyond just being weird of them kind of connecting like that, it was strange that they even try to convince us Sabina is what, on the verge of death? End it with a laugh because Kristen Stewart wakes up and gives those, what would you even call those incredulous, sarcastic faces she makes? Kristen Stewart faces? Yeah. Yeah, I mean. (laughs) It's just the faces she makes. (laughs) Yeah, so she gives some Kristen Stewart face that undercuts any of the emotion as it becomes a moment where Chucky sitting next to Marjorie laughed hysterically. (laughs) Oh my God, he really went out. We brought up before the A-Team movie, like why does that flying tank work better than what McGee tries to do in full throttle? And in that A-Team movie, as goofy as it is, there are like character arcs, like B.A. Brock has a character arc in that. So you could be goofy and funny and kind of just a dumb action film and have these moments. This, they just weren't written in here and that would have helped a lot, I think. Because I'm kind of on their side in this film. Like I want to like this movie. There's just little things that are stopping me from fully getting on board. 
The big twist of the movie I didn't see coming is Alexander Brock is in on it. And we find that out here, too, when he comes in. Was he in on it? I thought he just wanted his stuff back. He wanted his stuff back, but he also, he knew that Elena was trying to tell him these things could be weaponized, and he didn't want to know. He yells at her, you're a bad employee for trying to tell me things that would ruin my plausible deniability. Yeah, but I don't think he thought Patrick Bosley was going to steal it and use it for that. It's it's kind of like, he's like, again, it's like Apple. Like, it's 2019. They just finally fixed that stupid butterfly keyboard in their MacBooks. Like, they just came out with a new model. Like, after years of people complaining about that, that's just how corporations are. It's like, yeah, we know there's a problem. Just don't tell us because we want to make billions. And they're going to overturn him, too. They're going to take him hostage and force him to give Root access and then tell him to go to the party. He went down like a little bitch. I mean, it didn't take long at all for him to give in. Here's my biggest problem, because this is going on. I guess it's a launch party that Brock is throwing, and it's DJs and neon lights. Again, I wish this was more adrenalizing. I wish there was more style. We've seen this kind of thing. You know, in John Wick, there's a whole action scene at a rave. And when you got that thumping music and, and the cool lighting and all that, you could at least have a stylish action set piece, and nothing really happens with that here. No, this end fight is really lackluster. The only thing I like is it gives Jane a moment and Jane has not had her moment (laughs) and she's finally facing off against Hordak again and she says, you think I've lost you all those previous times? I was learning. You have seven moves. And she finally kicks his ass. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I do kind of wish she was like counting out his moves as he was doing them. She's like, all right, that's one. That's two. Like, and then she gets the kill shot. And then the kill shot is really weird because they're going to go like really gratuitous death. The Hordak falls off the balcony, is impelled by an ice sculpture, like coming out of his chest. That feels like something McGee would do. Yeah. <laughs> it does. And we're just going to make silly puns about it. It's, I guess they don't want the angels to come off as too violent. So we'll get you to laugh every time they kill someone. Well, that works. I mean, come on. <laughs> Okay. It just feels awkward with the way they handle death in this one. I agree with you that it is strange. There's a lot of people falling to their death and it's not treated at all. Like they spend a lot of time on this ice sculpture death. Like they keep coming back to it. Yeah, but on some of these deaths, because of the way they treated it, I thought that maybe they didn't really die at first because... (laughs) Hordak is dead. He's not coming back like Crispin Glover did. Oh, well, yeah, I agree. I agree. But... Some of them, I'm just kind of like, okay, so maybe they, they're doing the like the stun thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they're not killing them because they don't want to kill people if they can avoid it to not make it a bloodbath. Because I don't think of Charlie's Angels as a bloodbath movie. No. No. And this final end, though, really lacks suspense in so many ways. First of all, we have Sabina in a party dress that I was surprised. That was a really revealing party dress for... This movie, I thought. It felt like she'd grabbed maybe one of Drew's old outfits. <laughs> no, I see, I like this. There was a sense of style to it, but then they never play it up. I, I think part of the Angel's MO is to have that sexiness, and I do appreciate I find this one a bit more sophistication when it comes to its sexiness than the Barrymore one, so I appreciated that, but yeah, I wish there was just more fun with it. It's like, we'll throw them in a short skirt, and not a whole lot happens. This movie lacks the style of the original TV series as well as the Drew Barrymore Angel movies. There's not anything that stands out as far as style. I hated the style of the Barrymore ones, but I recognize it was there and I wish this was 
doing something more like that. Nothing against the costume designer, but I think it was just very bland and rote. And that's something that with the Barrymore ones, they went very much with things for the time, things that were in style. This movie had none of that. I felt like they dressed her like a current pop star. There's that song out there with Miley Cyrus and Ariana Grande and Lana Del Rey. I think that dress would have felt at home on any of them. But Sabina finally kind of seduces a guard or plays up sexiness so they can push him down some stairs. And she gets in to rescue Elena. And John Bosley, Patrick Bosley, had left an EMP to go off to kill her and Langston. Only to find out when they get in there, Elena had hacked the machine so that it won't be an EMP. It'll just make flashy lights. I was thinking that. I'm like, you just left uh, the woman that can hack anything in the room with the device, which, look, I, I appreciate that there is a reason for the villain to walk out of the room when they expect the heroes to die. Like, that's so annoying, like in James Bond movies, because just shoot him. But here, yeah, you can't be in that room because that EMP will kill you as well. But I'm like, she's a hacker. She can just reprogram it. No, no suspense there. So let's go back to this. What is common as far as tropes and movies, when you capture a woman, you must immediately put her in a different outfit and do her hair. What was that? Yeah, they changed her clothes. They're going to put like the S&M dog leash on her, comb her hair. Yeah, the dog leash weirded me out. And when she's telling Hordak, did you get that from your mother's closet? It's like, where? what movie am I watching? Yeah, I, I, I just, I don't get it. I mean, is this something that you do when you kidnap people? Is you change their clothes and redo their hair? I usually put them in the hole and tell them that it puts the lotion on or it gets the hose again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just don't get it. It was very Princess Leia, Slave Leia from Return of the Jedi because Jabba took her, changed her clothes, changed her hair. Put a collar on her. And put a collar on her. But the whole ending fight lacks suspense. And when they finally confront Brock, and then Brock is kicking everybody out, of course, after Hordak dies. He's like, people leave, party's over. And all of Patrick Bosley's goons show up but of course, we saw Chekhov's angel army in the first scene. So here's Chekhov's angel army at the end to knock all of them out with Altoids. Oh, yeah, just to give them all Altoids. <laughs> Is this a feminist thing? Women are reclaiming Altoids after Monica Lewinsky? I didn't know there was Monica Lewinsky linked Altoids. She popped one of those after doing the D? No, she did it before and during. Oh, but no, I think this was a big feminist thing because I think the theme of this movie was we're all angels and there's diversity and we can do all this. I, I'm telling I don't want to get like all alt-right because that's not who I am, but you notice like all the bad guys here are white dudes. Yeah. Like if they're a person of color, they're probably and male, then they're probably not a bad guy. Like, yeah, it seems super obvious, like it's all there, whatever. I'm not gonna complain about it. I'm just going to point it out because I think, yeah, they definitely have an agenda. That said, there's a line that Kristen Stewart said early on that I did like for this movie where she said that pretty women are underestimated. And if you're not pretty, you're invisible. So at least it's not only supermodel women can be angels. It's like, even you ugly chicks, you you have powers too. Yeah, I caught that too. Yeah, you just have to wear a hoodie though and, and come in when the lights are off. Yeah, I, I caught that line and it was very telling. And I mean, I get it. It didn't have the ham-fistedness that Captain Marvel did with a lot of it. And it, it's okay. I think this gets a pass until that end scene where like everyone's revealed to be an angel because I feel that it departs from the franchise. You know, I think this movie's a huge departure from the franchise. If I liked this movie more, 
which isn't to say I'm not recommending it, but if I liked it more, I'd be interested in going back and seeing where all those angels that we saw in flashback showed up. Yeah, I thought I thought there were some really obvious, like you have a black woman handing off something to Elizabeth Bosley. When that actually happened, I'm like, well, she's obviously like in with this group. She's handing her stuff. But yeah, there are some that are just very background characters. I'm like, oh, that was a clue we we're supposed to pick up on. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested in rewatching with that knowledge, but I'd have to like watch it multiple times to actually pay attention to who these women are at the end and then see exactly where they show up and remember the faces. I mean, they're very blink and you miss them moments in the movie. I almost feel you'd have to have it on your TV and then something on the laptop so you could go back and be like, all right, where's this person? Where's that person? And again, that's a lot of work for something that's purely mediocre. But it's not over. Elena has been enjoying the action. Was this all a recruitment mission? Was this, was it from the beginning they were going to recruit super hacker Elena? I, I almost felt like that was going to be the ultimate twist. Patrick Bosley was going to come out and go, nope, I wasn't a bad guy. We're just doing a, you know, it's like David Fincher's The Game. We're just doing this elaborate ruse <laughs> and you pass. You get to be an angel now. And we're going to have an end credits sequence, which again, it just, if the closet didn't scream Kingsman to me, this training sequence did. It screamed cameos to me. We're like, we're going to find out who Charlie is. It's a woman. And guess who it is? Jacqueline Smith. Yeah, that was interesting, which don't put fillers in your face, guys. Okay. I'm just going to come right out there (laughs) in 20 years. Let's skip the now playing group plastic surgery and fillers in our cheekbones. Okay. Because she looked like the Crypt Keeper. And she was Charlie, right? Because we see that Charlie is a woman using a voice modulator. So what Patrick Bosley had been waiting for, Charlie to die so he could take over. He had already died. He had died and given it to Jacqueline Smith. And, you know, she did make a cameo in Full Throttle. So this carries it on. Well, because it's all the same universe, apparently. She was an original angel, and now she's Charlie. But I knew, like, yeah, we're going to get this training montage during the closing credits. And I'm like, oh, we're going to get cameos here. Yes, there's a race car. And if it's a race car, guess who it's got to be? Danica Patrick. And there's a fighting scene. I'm like, "Ah, I'm pretty sure that's Ronda Rousey. And yep, there she is in the credits. (laughs) That's exactly it. Here is where I felt out of touch because I didn't know a lot of the cameos that were coming on here. First of all, I wasn't paying attention to the other recruits. I completely missed Haley Steinfeld, who's an actress I liked. Yeah, I saw her in the credits. I didn't recognize her. I think she was on the airplane. There's like some other recruits that were jumping out of this plane. I'm like, they're probably pop singers or something that I just, I don't know who they are. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't pay attention. I just would, I saw Danica Patrick and... Ronda Rousey, and I thought that was the end of it. I didn't pay attention to look for any of these other, or, you know, to look for other people. I thought that was just it, because they have the non-traditional female skills. And Danica Patrick is a name I know. Hey, come on, you've seen GoDaddy commercials. She, like, did them all in the 2000s. That was yes, her? Did. Yeah. I yes. didn't know that. I get her confused with Danica McKellar from The Wonder Years. Is that Winnie? Yeah, Winnie Cooper. She's like a math genius, right? Yeah. Yes. So I get confused there, but I wouldn't know Danica Patrick if she came to my door doing a census. Ronda Rousey, I know from films, and I've watched some of her MMA fights, but they did one scene where it was a close-up on her. I just didn't catch the reference. I just knew her because the, she showed up in one of the Fast and the Furious films, I believe. Mm-hmm. Eight. Not eight of them, but number eight. No, number eight. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's Laverne Cox. I don't know who that is. Like, people, like, gasped when they showed her. I guess she's a Orange is the New Black person. Yes. She was on Orange is the New Black. Very famous trans person. Oh, okay. So, I didn't, 
I lost a lot of the cameos. I was just enjoying the kind of Kingsman jokes of Elena in training. And there's the weirdest moment in this entire film is at the very end where (laughs) after landing the plane, Sabina says to Elena, let me smell your breath. And earlier, Elena had this thing because Saint gave her a mint and she's all afraid her breath smells. And so Sabina saying, let me smell your breath and almost eating her nose like that mouth is over the nose with the smell. And then the punchline is, oh, she didn't throw up. So so she was looking for puke breath. She wanted her nose that close to puke breath. I I think there might have been a better way to do it. But I I feel like they were trying to play up the Sabina character as a tomboy like Dylan was. Yeah, she's the Drew Barrymore of the group. Yeah, it just didn't fly. I just don't think that Kristen Stewart is better than that scene right there. I, I she never... was she was better in this movie than in that scene. Yeah, yeah. I think she showed up to have fun, and she's having fun. Yeah, let's find out if we're having fun. Marjorie Jacob, do you recommend Charlie's Angels 2019? Marjorie. Ooh, this is a loaded question because while I feel it is a weak entry into this franchise because I basically think they're rewriting the franchise, which Drew Barrymore apparently still owns it and at least took the paycheck for executive producer on this with some other people. I feel that they're reinventing Charlie's Angels. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I don't think they reinvented it well. I feel that they were holding a bunch of threads and they kind of let a few drop in order to make this a solid sell because, I mean, I like the franchise of Charlie's Angels. I have since I was a little girl. I think this movie lacked fun. I think it lacked being coherent as far as the villain and the storyline. But that's not to say it's necessarily a bad movie. I I just don't think it wasn't good. I think Kristen Stewart was good in it. She was decent. Elena, very Disney-like, but I don't necessarily think she was a bad actress. I think maybe she just is on Disney mode and that's just all she can do. I think Elizabeth Banks was good. I think that she really could have expanded her role. Maybe she didn't because she was directing and producing. I liked her character. I don't know that I like that there's a gazillion Bosleys in their franchises now, like Subway's or Little Caesar's Pizza now. I feel they lost a lot of the uniqueness that made it Charlie's Angels by doing that. And I think that they really could have adapted it to the modern times without doing that. So I'm going to recommend it on the basis that it's a perfectly fine action movie. It's what you'd expect from just a cheap action movie with bad storytelling. There's like three fun scenes, but I can't tell you if there's anything like really horrible to keep you away from it. It's perfectly mediocre. It's middle of the road. It's what you'd expect from an action movie that just was put out there. So if this was a performance evaluation, it's a three, it meets expectations. That's enough to not be on a corrective action plan. This is where I'd be. It's between a two and a three because, you know, it kind of makes me the rest of the year kind of made me think sometimes like, wow, why are you even here? But I can't necessarily point out that there's something you should stay away from. I guess I'll give it a weak recommend. I mean, it's okay-ish. It's purely (laughs) mediocre. It wasn't as much fun as it could have been, but there were some fun parts and it wasn't like, oh my God, stay away. It's not like it was Skyscraper or something or that earthquake movie. Jacob. I feel you, Marjorie, because I struggled with this one. Where am I? Because it is so generic. And I didn't have the issues with what it did with the franchise because I'm not a hardcore Angels fan. It Like, 
we talked about this with Miami Vice, with that patron show, where you took this property and you did something so different. You changed the style and you just made it so brooding. Like for me, that felt really weird because that's not what I associate with Miami Vice. I think this kept enough of those core elements where as someone faintly familiar with the Charlie's Angels franchise, yeah, I could see where they expanded it, where they had all these Bosleys. It's not going to really bug me. So that wasn't an issue. Look, those Barry Moore Charlie's Angels, those really are the Roger Moore <laughs> of the Charlie's Angels franchise, like what Roger Moore was to the Bond series, like just goofy and absurd. And this one, it's it's not Daniel Craig. Maybe it's Pierce Brosnan where like, I, I think I liked him as a Bond, but I only really liked Goldeneye out of the ones he did, or even a Timothy Dalton where I'm like, oh, I think back, those are the dark brooding ones. And then I rewatch those films. I'm like, oh, they're not that great. Like there's stuff I like here, but it, it doesn't totally gel for me. There, there's just not enough of that sense of, of style with the choreography and the fight scenes or the chase scenes. The humor doesn't land a whole lot for me. Yeah, it's a generic action film and you could do worse things with your time but ultimately yeah I needed this to gel just a little bit more give me a little bit of character drama with some arcs there and and tighten up the humor give it a little bit more style improve the choreography and the action scenes and I could totally get on board with this one I, I feel like I ding it a little bit because it is in that Barrymore universe because they tied it to that but I also give it a little bit more credit because I liked it more than those films but ultimately a week not recommend I get you both. I mean, walking out, I knew which way this was going. This is going to be a week not recommend. But while I was watching it, I was having that it's fine kind of feeling. And when it's fine, I look for something good or something bad to move the needle that fraction of a degree it needs to go. And Kristen Stewart was good. So that could have been the thing to move it that fraction of a needle. Best part of this film. (laughs) And it surprises me because if you'd asked me when we started this retrospective series, if you told me that the final show would be all three of us praising Kristen Stewart, I'd have thought you'd drop too much acid. (laughs) But here we are. But what's bad about this movie is just the story. And it does lack inventiveness. It felt like McDonald's coffee. I'm not going to recommend McCafe. No, go to Starbucks or go to Pete's or go to Stumptown. I'm not going to tell you McCafe's good coffee, but it's going to be better than Circle K coffee. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So it's right there, that middle of the road. If you need a caffeine fix, it's out there. But... I'm not going to recommend it. It just isn't that great. But here's what's funny is I'm going to cheat with that because I recommended the TV pilot movie, but I really gave that a pass because of the whole series. I wanted to recommend the series. I do think this is better than that TV movie we watched. If I'm to rank them, to me, the best is the Drew Barrymore first one, the McGee original. The second one is this. The third one is the TV movie, and the fourth one is that McGee part two, which is an abomination. <laughs> yeah, I like I said, I think this is the best of the ones we've reviewed. I, I'd put 2019 Charlie's Angels at the top, and then the first Drew Barrymore produced Angels TV pilot, and way, 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 don't burn it up. Don't even pre- think about watching it <laughs> full throttle. But sadly, it was four red arrows when you were hedging and hawing. I thought maybe you'd get a green arrow out of this one. Yeah, I thought about it. Like, it came close. And Marjorie, how would you rank them? I would probably put the first Drew Barrymore one up there near the top and then put the TV movie 
because it was stupid funny and it wasn't supposed to be funny, but it was. And then I'd probably put this one and then Full Throttle because Full Throttle was just confusing. But I'm torn because this and Full Throttle had Chris McGlover and he was batshit crazy in that one. And I really love Chris McGlover. But it didn't have enough Chris McGlover. It didn't, no. It lacked Glover. I did like that they referenced Full Throttle in this one because they said, angels go bad. You know the history. Yes. And I'm like, Demi Moore. I said that out loud in the theater. I'm like, they keep reminding me Full Throttle happened. Don't do that movie. <laughs> I was surprised we didn't see a Shia LaBeouf Bosley in the background. Oh, God. Don't give them ideas for the next one if they decide to make a next one. Well, that's the thing is I don't think they're going to be making a next one based on the box office unless this one does huge international business. And I read something that's very interesting. It says it's really hard for studios to lose money on a movie these days, even if it tanks at the box office because they sell it to networks, they sell it to streaming services, there's international, but then there's international streaming services and international video rights. I don't, you know, it's really, really hard for a studio to take a bath, but I don't think the studio is going to be rushing back to the Angels anytime soon. Maybe they should call McG. Nobody should be calling <laughs> McG. They've now failed at TV in 2011 and failed at movies in 2019. I, maybe we have another 20 years off. Well, I, but you have to look at that. Both of these have lacked what made this franchise Charlie's Angels and what made it popular. Jiggle. Okay, that's originally why Aaron Spelling did it, but it lasted so long because it was fun. Yeah, I agree. Like, make a fun Charlie's Angels, and I, I felt like if the humor landed better here, if there's just more fun with the choreography, and, and same with that first Barrymore one, like, if they were just a little bit better, I could have had more fun with them, and they would be recommends. But, you know... No matter what you say, it looks like in the Barrymore ones, like they were having fun making the movie. They were having fun. Yes. I do not d deny that. I, you see what I mean? It's missing what made the franchise the franchise. Well, speaking of franchise, we will be back in a couple weeks with a new franchise. I don't know that this has been even really announced yet. We weren't 100% sure because they keep threatening to move things in next year's calendar. We, they just moved the King's Man yesterday. But we're going to trust what Legendary Films is telling us is that next year we are getting King Kong versus Godzilla. And so we're going to build up to that with a King Kong retrospective series. Two weeks from today, we kick it off with the original 1930s King Kong. This is going to be now. Is this now going to be the oldest movie we've done? It is. We have never gone to the 30s. I don't even think in the book we went this far back. But much like Charlie's Angels, we're going to be spreading King Kong out for a while because Godzilla vs. Kong is due out in March. So this is going to be a five-month retrospective series with 10 movies. I mean, that is a good chunk of movies. But in between, next week is Thanksgiving, so it's time to break out the turkey. We're reviewing Ratchet and Clank based on the video game. <laughs> is that a preview on your recommend? <laughs> It's something. I'll, 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 I'll say this. I'm having fun playing the video game. What will I think of the movie? Tune in Tuesday to find out. Meanwhile, if you want to support this show and help us keep going and well into 2020 to do King Kong and beyond, this Friday we get to the grudge films you've probably seen. Huge hit back in 2004. Sarah Michelle Gellar in the U.S. remake of The Grudge. 
as we start three weeks of that. If you donate now for our Grudge Retrospective series, there are four of those shows already out. In two weeks, we did Jew on the Curse, Jew on the Curse 2, Jew on the Grudge, and Jew on the Grudge 2, and now we get to the American versions. You can find all the details out about that at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And Jacob, Marjorie, thank you for joining me. You're you're my now playing angels. And until next time, all the angels have gone to heaven. Well done, angels. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. It's been a pleasure. I hope to work with you ladies again, but not too soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. Outstanding angels. If you enjoyed this show, you can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. Charlie, I've really enjoyed working on this assignment. (laughs) And I eagerly anticipate returning to work. Want to hear more reviews like this one? You can find hundreds of other movie reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Isn't it amazing how much information you can learn off of the internet? In our archives section are over 800 reviews. Listen to our hosts discuss horror, sci-fi, comedy, action, drama, and more. How'd that feel? Because it looked like it felt really good. That felt nice. Plus, you can hear reviews of every movie based on Marvel or DC Comics. You know how superheroes have these secret identities? You're an action star. I get a lot of action. A new, totally free movie review podcast is posted every Tuesday. So come back each week for another new show. Daddy, I wish you could watch us work. You'd be so proud. I mean, you can't even imagine the positions we get ourselves into. (laughs) When I get back, I'm going to give you... Blow by blow. Now playing relies on listener support to keep operating. Sabrina, why can't I ever come out ahead of the bank? <laughs> I think you have to put in more than you take out. Ah, is that the trick? Well, it helps. You can support Now Playing by joining our Podbean crowdfunding campaign. Backers can get early access to reviews, unedited reviews, exclusive shows not available anywhere else, and more. Details are at nowplayingpatron.com. You know, I signed that release waiver, so you can just feel free to stick things in my slot. At our Podbean site, you can also support the show by listening to any of our donation shows. Series like Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park, Phantasm, Jaws, and others are available for a small, one-time contribution. I just got so excited. When it's big like that, I just love to ride it hard and rough. The way I was getting pounded, I'm going to be wet for hours. You can also donate to us directly on PayPal. Details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I got to say, Helen, I've never wanted you more. Always wanting what you can have. Want 375 more Now Playing reviews? Get the Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Arnie, Stewart, Jacob, and Marjorie reviewed 125 different movies, each getting three recommends or not recommends. The ebook is available now, and the print book will be shipping soon. Find details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book. I see my brother ain't checked the books in quite a while, huh? We have a book. You can also follow Now Playing on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
There, the hosts post new episode announcements, movie reviews, and contests where you can win movies and soundtracks. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube for original video content. I have something you'll never have. Watch that. Friends. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I'm sorry, friend of Starfish, but there's only one captain of this love boat. That captain is me. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Hey, I like that guy. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. Don't worry, he's going to wake up. Unless he doesn't. Now playing credits read by Brock. I can't tell you how many hours I've spent lying in bed trying to put a face and a body on that voice. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. You said what? Over my dead body. I can accept those terms. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. You're very good with your hands. I could use someone like you and my staff. Thanks for the offer, but my hands aren't going anywhere near your staff. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. You crazy bastard! I think you mean crazy bitch. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of, and may not be used without the express written permission of, Venganza Media Incorporated. Same stuff. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2019, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. And that's kicking your ass. You know, with Harvey Weinstein out there still showing up at actors' workshops for some reason. like He still has a couch that needs casting. <laughs> it's so bizarre that people are inviting him out to their yeah, thing still. Like, is... I, do, I don't know how he's not in jail, but that's a different subject. I'm not even a car guy, and I wanted to see that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I like Matt Damon. and Yeah, Christian Bale is always fun. Yeah. Usually, not always. Usually. <laughs> yeah, except when he's yelling at you because you walked into the lighting or something. <laughs> Great to see on the screen, but I wouldn't want to party with him. <laughs> I wouldn't want to work for him. Jesus. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Hamburg, we meet software designer Elena Holland. Ho Ho Probably Hofflin. Hofflin? Okay. I'm guessing. <laughs> I made you say Elena. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's what's the other angel's name? Jane. Uh, Jane. Yeah, it's so plain. I should have remembered that plain one. Plain Jane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love cheese. Uh, yeah. Like no like, one in my family eats cheese. I'm like, just buy me a block of cheese. I'll just slice that stuff and eat it. Yeah, we didn't have cheese much growing up because my father hated cheese. Like I never had mac and cheese or hamburger helper growing up because my dad didn't like cheese. So now plain cheese thoughts. Hashtag. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thank you.
co-programmer who's going to be a minor character in this whole thing. Not Lumberg. Um, Lumberg? <laughs> we do an office space? Lumberg. Oh God, don't give me any, any ideas, Jacob. <laughs> Now I'm curious, Kristen Stewart. He's checking her height. height. <laughs> Even if she's five four, she's too tall. Yeah, she's five five. She's a giant among jockeys. Yeah, that's too. That's too tall. Yeah, they're they're lucky if they push five feet. Strangely, yeah. uh, people also search for Kristen Bell is only five one. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but she married really low though. So. Mm. <laughs> oh, Dax. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking of, let's go to prison. Yeah, it's a great movie. It all comes back to let's go to prison. Now all we have to do is bring up Chai, Chai McBride. Yep. We'll find a way to work him in. <laughs> and also bad is Johnny Australia. <laughs> Johnny Australia, Australia Johnny. That sounds like all of a sudden he's Johnny in Point Break. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Utah, Johnny Australia. <laughs> They're cousins. <laughs> I call her Mary Sue because she's just so kick-ass. She's whipping him with that mouse and beating this huge dude up. Well, a little bit of history for you guys. So Krav Maga is fighting with computer items. What? <laughs> oh, you're messing with me. I am, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Something that was developed in an office and cubicles. It's Google employees are given Fridays to develop personal projects, and one of them was Krav Maga. Where they Krav took, Maga. Where they took keyboards and mice and motherboards and weaponized them. And uh, tingles. I think that's not a good that way. I would know. I think that's a good way for you. <laughs> yeah. Does it help? Does it help the dude or just help the woman like deal with it? The, the dude. The dude. I think it's a good way to get an infection for the dude. But whatever. <laughs> Let's induce something sugary and yeasty to you know an orifice. But whatever. <laughs> we just got some real sex talk here. Yeah. That's what we should do next time. Is you know sex advice podcast. We should do now playing Love Line Edition. Yeah. You know, you know, there's all those uh, YouTube videos where it's like a forensic expert talks about forensic scenes in movies. We could do that with yeah, sex, sex stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'd be a great one. They go to some place that I've never thought of since I watched the Flintstones last. <laughs> a rock quarry. <laughs> Okay, my Fred Flintstone reference really gets you. I was waiting to see, like, I'm like, what? I didn't see them like start a car with their feet. Where's oh. going with this? <laughs> Someone yank on a parrot's tail feather to sound off an alarm. I'll never not think of that when I don't watch this when it's on. Uh, some animal wash the dishes and go, it's a living. <laughs> That's where I'm going when you say the Flintstones. <laughs> but with the typewriter, we're one step away from what's the, <laughs> the, the pterodactyl record needle. Yeah. yeah. Yes. 